Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Busy one ahead, we have got another round of the 10k toy giveaway between now and midday, guaranteed to find another qualifier for the daily draw. We've had a good week, we had two winners in four days coming from the opinion line and also another chance to win on our free Santa Friday with Magical Blarney. All that coming up with two passes, two family passes for Magical Blarney to give away uh, during the morning. Also, we'll be finding out exactly what was going on here. Of course, there's going to be uh, an Irish girl here in a brewery. And why the Irish girl actually saw the joke and had no problem with it. That is all to come. But we start with a desperately, desperately sad story. An inquest that ran for three very, very long days very, very long days at the Cork City Coroner's Court and ended uh, last evening well after dark. This was the uh, the Downey inquest. Marie Downey from Kildare was found dead in a single room at COMH in March 2019. Her little son, Dara, was found critically injured underneath her body. He passed away the following evening. A desperate, desperate tragedy and verdicts of medical misadventure were returned at the inquest. Moraid uh, is still in the newsroom. You've been following this one, Moraid, over the last couple of days. Desperately, desperately sad and tragic. Very, very sad, PJ, indeed. Yeah, and as you say, three days um, running late in, into the evenings, and, and particularly last evening, it was uh, around 9.30 yesterday evening when Kieran Downey spoke outside of the Cork City Coroner's Court. Um, as you said there, PJ, verdicts of medical misadventure have been returned. Um, in evidence, Dr. Peter Keelan, he carried out the post-mortem on the body of baby Dara, and he said that he died as a result of multi-organ failure as the consequence of compression asphyxia, and it was 
Assistant State Pathologist Dr. Margot Bolster had uh, conducted the post-mortem on the body of Marie Downey and she said that she died as a result of an upper cervical spinal cord injury caused by a fall as a result of an epileptic seizure. Um, so there was some recommendations uh, from the jury. They, they recommended the findings of an external review. It was an independent report carried out and they say that they'd be implemented with a number of enhancements and this is in an effort, I suppose, to prevent future similar incidents to this one. Um, I suppose just to, to touch on that mm. independent report and those recommendations, they added, as I said, some enhancements. And those enhancements include changes to the electronic patient healthcare record system. So to flag when a person or a patient has a condition, um, improvements to ensure patient care plans can be put in place. And to one-on-one supervision of vulnerable patients who were staying in single rooms in hospitals to reduce the risk of, of adverse effects. Because as we, we heard over, you know, the three days of the inquest that Marie Downey was uh, staying in a, in a private single room and it was something, you know, it, it was a, a step away from, from the, the nurse's station. They gave a measurement yesterday. I don't actually have it in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so one to, one-to-one supervision of vulnerable patients. As we know, Marie Downey had epilepsy. She was taking medication for her epilepsy um, and just touching there on what Margot Bolster said you know that she said that her death would have been instantaneous and she said that was the only you know comfort that maybe she could offer uh, to the family of the late Marie Downey that it would have been instantaneous she wouldn't have known it would have been instant blackness um, so I suppose you know Philip common yesterday, the coroner, he said, you know, he said this was the first double tragedy that he's had to to deal with in his career as a coroner. And he said that he hopes that it will be his last. And I suppose to touch there, uh, Barrister Dirin O'Mani for the, the Downey family, she addressed or, you know, made submissions to the inquest before the jury went out to, you know, to to deliberate and to come back with their verdict and you know she she touched on she said there was a communication failure there on the part of Miss Downey's obstetrician Professor Keelan O'Donoghue to make contact with her neurologist Dr. Peter Knirens who was treating Marie Downey for epilepsy and Professor O'Donoghue had told the inquest that she regretted not contacting Dr. Knirens and she did say that it was it was an oversight on her part mm-hmm. and um, as I say after the inquest Kieran Downey spoke uh, yeah. To the media, and I, and I think you have that that interview there. We Peter. have indeed. We have indeed. We waited over two and a half years for this day to arrive, and while relieved this painful process is over, our hearts remain broken. We are grateful to the jury for their verdicts and recommendations, which will, we hope, spare this kind of profound, shocking tragedy from touching the lives of any other family ever again. Marie and I sought what we thought was the best possible care for her and paid to go private. We were let down and we feel failed by the system. Marie and Dara will never be forgotten and will live in our hearts forever. How do you feel about the outcome of the, the, the inquest, Kieran? From a verdict. It was a good verdict. The recommendations from the jury were good. The process was very, very difficult. Made more difficult, I suppose, with, with being unable to voice my my statements in the first place, but also during the process being restricted in what I could say. 
What would you say to the HSE? It's chaotic. It's chaotic from the very get-go. Everything that was discussed in the last three days just proves that the systems, it doesn't seem like there is even a system. How would you like Marie and Dara to be remembered? Marie, very loving, caring, unbelievable mother to James, Sean and Dara. Loved her parents, Jim and Helen. And Dara, he was a big boy. Do you have faith in the system to improve and to make maternity services safer for a them? Do I have faith after the last three days? No. The recommendations from the jury are very good and should be implemented. But based on past history, I have my doubts. Will you be Clearly. following up on the recommendations? Will you be keeping across this going forward? Yes, of course. That's Kieran Downey speaking to a number of reporters, including Paul Byrne, Pascal Sheehy and All English, outside the courts last evening. And I think our own Katie O'Keefe was there as well, Moirade. But to listen to the man's voice, to have that level of composure after those three days, he's some bloke. He is. And it was actually, I was there myself, PJ. And yeah, it was it was just tragic. And, you know, my thoughts go out to him and his family and, you know, his, his two beautiful boys that he's caring for at home. And, and he said, you know, last night that, you know, that they talk about mommy and Dara every day and, you know, and he wants to make sure that they have the best possible life as much as mm. they can now going forward. There's a beautiful and a heartbreaking photograph going around of them all together a few hours after Dara was born. Yeah. That's the most tragic photograph I've looked at for a very long time. Absolutely. And that was handed out to the jury just before they went uh, to deliberate. And then it, w- it was passed along to us in the media. And uh, and we were given permission to share that. And it is, it's just, it's so sad to see it. A beautiful family a family photograph. Okay. Maureen, thank you very much. Thanks, the, these, these ones are difficult. And thank you very much. Uh, the, the Downey inquest, as we referred to it over the last few days, verdicts of medical misadventure and a number of recommendations returned by the jury, jury at uh, Cork City Coroner's Court. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. For months and months and months now, we've been getting calls and messages from people who can't use their name because they're part of the service. They can't go on the air because they're part of the service or they're connected to the service with regard to the situation in the ambulance service. And we know of people waiting very, very long durations of time for ambulances to come. And we know that there's a serious problem with the dispatching system, nationally, but locally in particular, with regard to the dispatch of ambulances. That whole issue was raised in the Dáil uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, by uh, temporary TD Michael Lowry. This service is failing men, women and children across the country. This service is failing full stop. Every public representative here has heard the stories emanating from the paramedics themselves, from the ambulance crews 
and from the general public who have been affected. We have to tackle what is a national crisis by engaging with and listening to the frontline staff. Now, in the wake of that speech, which was longer than that, we also got uh, correspondence here at the opinion line from someone who, again, cannot attempt to go on air, can't give us their name, but we're happy as to the veracity of what I'm about to read you. They sent us a list of recent incidents. A female in Blarney with a fractured hip, three and a half hour wait for an ambulance. A male in Navarre after a road traffic accident, waited an hour and 55 minutes. A female in Balifihan had a fall on the road, 90 minutes while an ambulance came from Waterford. A female with a sick child told there wasn't any ambulance available, rang back, still no ambulance. Eventually, she rang and told them to cancel the ambulance. They said, that's fine, but we still haven't any. Ambulance from Cork City. This is, you'll get this one. Ambulance from Cork City dispatched to Waterford to take a woman 11 minutes from her home to Waterford Hospital and then the ambulance come back to Cork. And this one. This is the one that prompted the note. A man in Cork who rang 999 for an ambulance for his mother who had chest pain. The dispatcher wasn't able to give an indication of how long they'd be waiting. The man decided he'd drive his mother to the hospital. It was about 12 minutes away. His mom died in the car on the way to hospital. Ted Kenny is, and we've spoken before, Ted Kenny is the SIP2 rep for the ambulance service. Ted, good morning. Good morning, PJ. These stories are horrendous and they keep coming in. That's quite true. And not only, um, I mean, there are examples of what's happening in Cork, but the same examples um, apply across the 26 counties. And that is a major issue uh, for us as a, as you know, representing um, the paramedics uh, within Cork City and County and, and nationally. Um, and what we have done with management is that we have initiated management to do a capacity review. And that capacity review and what we want to see is an increase of approximately 2,000 staff with at least 100 or 200 new ambulances to be put in place um, no later um, than 2027. They've already started a recruitment drive for new paramedics. Mm. And what we are saying quite clearly to the government is that whatever comes out of the capacity review, they have to be prepared to fund it. Yeah. And... At the moment, there's no indication and there's no uh, indication that they will. Um, and we have to keep driving that agenda both through local politicians, through local media like yourself, and through pressure by us as, uh, as a union on behalf of our membership uh, with government to make sure that happens. Ted, the dispatch system, and look, it's done by Central and it's done according to the nearest available ambulance and we know there's a ping comes up on the map and all of that. But something is seriously wrong where a woman is 11 minutes from a hospital in Waterford and the ambulance has to be sent from Cork to Waterford to take her that 11 minutes. Something's badly broken there. It is. um, See, the difficulty that the National Ambulance Service find themselves at the moment, under the dispatch system that they operate under, and also in relation to the HICWA standards, in relation to response times, 
The dispatchers in Neoc, which is the National Control Centre based in Tallinn, we have one in Belly Shannon as well as a kind of a backup to it. The, the, the biggest problem that the controllers find is, and to no fault of, their, of the people working in the control rooms, it's got to do with the system. They will send the next available ambulance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a situation recently here in Kerry that there was no ambulance. And now if you take this now, right, there's an ambulance in any given time, 24-7, there's an ambulance based in Dingle, an ambulance based in Listowel, two or three ambulances based in Tralee, an ambulance based in Killarney, an ambulance based in Kinmare, an ambulance based in Carsevine. That's a, a, physi- ago, a physical no- vehicle, you mean? This is a physical vehicle. Yeah, we, we have them right? all over Cork as well, north, south, yes. east and west, yeah. But there was one incident in Kerry a couple of weeks ago where there was no ambulance available in Kerry. They were all out of the county. They were either out of the county or they were tied up in a in, in in University Hospital, Kerry. There was a car crash outside in Slayhead in, 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 in West, just outside of Dingle in West Kerry. And the ambulance that was dispatched to that was sent from Castletown Bear, which is a journey of two and a half hours. It made no sense. Yeah. No sense whatsoever. But the difficulty is, all the other ambulances in Kerry were all tied up. Am I right in saying as well, Ted, that in terms of recording dispatch times, and I'll be careful how I ask this question, because the staff in the centre are just doing their job. So... If it is a thing that I have an accident in Douglas and I the, an ambulance is called and that ambulance has to come from, for argument's sake, Dungarvan, it's dispatched within 90 seconds and that's the time that's recorded, correct? Correct. Not the time it takes to get to me. Correct. Right. The time it takes to and, get and to me is not recorded. Let's get that very clear. It's my knowledge that it's not recorded. It's not, and because at the end of the day, someone in Douglas um, rings an ambulance and it's dispatched in Dungarvan. That ambulance in Dungarvan may be maybe 20 minutes away from the actual ar- arriving on scene and could be stood down if another ambulance within Cox City was made available. Are ah, you joking me? And that's, happening, and that's happening on a daily basis. Hang on, hang on. You're uh, joking me, Ted. So the, the ambulance, we'll say, is beyond Middleton, we'll say, headed into town. And the lads get a bleep on the radio. You can go back. We've another one found. So that's a whole hour of their day entirely wasted. It is. So we have crews at the moment. And this is frightening, PJ. We have crews at the moment. We're putting up between 500, 500 kilometres a day, answering calls, but never actually get to a scene of a call. That's hard to believe, but it's factual. So that'll just tell you, PJ, what this, the, the state of the National Ambulance Service is at, um, at present. The funding that was given to the National Ambulance Service in the last three or four years, five years, was non-existent. We have we developed an ICO service. What's that, um, ICO? An, an ICB service is an inter- inter-hospital um, 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 transfer Okay. Right? That's what they mainly should do, right? So they would do that, and that and, and that would alleviate the need for frontline ambulances to do it. Mm. The problem is, the people employed as in, 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 as ICOs in the ICV service, a lot of these people have gone on to become paramedics, and they haven't been backfilled. Right. So there's a shortage there. And then when hospitals are looking to transfer patients out of hospitals, they're either ringing the, the frontline ambulance or the burden has gone over 
to the private ambulance service. Mm. There's another... And the cost has gone through the roof. There's another horrendous uh, statistic or story within this letter we got relating to the 24th of September when there was only one available ambulance in Cork City from 8pm to 8am and at one point that was taken out of Cork, sent to Dublin, presumably for an essential run and then others had to come in from outside into the city leaving their areas without cover. Correct. And that is the same example as I said earlier in relation to Kerry where the ambulance from Castletown Bear had to come back to a car accident in Ingle. And that's happening to the lint and breadth of the country. We have ambulances in the Midlands who are going up into Roscommon, up into Sligo. We have ambulances that go from Cork into Dublin. And on their way out of Dublin, they could be dispatched to calls within the Midlands. Yeah. So their overruns, which is a major issue yeah. for us in relation to health yeah. and safety. Yeah, let alone... The let alone ship could end up 17 hours. Yeah, yeah, let alone the fact that you have people driving and staffing ambulances for far, far longer then they're required 12-hour shift. Correct. And they're actually, and those shifts at times have run in two, they've gone five, six, five and six hours over their, um, um, their, their shift. So they're working 17, 18 hours. Has anybody and in the National Ambulance Service like heard of the European Working Time Directive, heard of anything like that? Well, they have. I mean, the European, they have. But the problem is, you see, in emergency services, um, that legislation is very weak. Yeah. And that's a problem as well. Surely it shows the, the urgent need for more and more services. Someone's been on the phone, Ted, to say, why is the ambulance service being sent to houses to check for COVID when there are centres to do that? Because the, the, the ambulances have been brought in as part of the, the, the COVID response too, and, and that's made more work for you guys. Well, the situation with COVID, I mean... The, the National Ambulance Service were integral in, 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 in relation to when, when COVID first came in last March, 12 months. But we now have um, all the frontline paramedics and frontline ICOs, um, other than those specifically taken on, and when I say taken on, those that were specifically employed, newly staff, they're the only people that are in the COVID test centres and the swabbing um, at the moment. All the rest of the frontline staff are all taken back. So I don't understand the question um, that about frontline ambulances has been sent out to COVID or check COVID. They're not. I mean, yeah. They're, speci- they're, they're, not, they're no. specially. Re- they're specially employed staff. You're saying there is. Okay. So there's a number of issues. There's a number of issues being done at the moment, right? And I mean, I have to say this because at the end of the day, I don't want to be saying that the SIPTO do nothing for our membership, right? We have working groups set up in relation to the whole issue around call and dispatch around meal breaks and around extended duty. And a lot of work has been done and a lot of progress is, is going to be made in that. We have two new units at the moment where it is where um, a registrar will go out to um, a call and they will treat the person in the house that will save them coming to A&E. We are in management or in um, liaison with hospital management to free up ambulances when they get to A&E. We have a new system at the moment was only negotiated last week. That take for argument's sake uh, in um, UH, UHK or in Cork University Hospital, if there's five or six ambulances, there'll be a specialised team that will come and set up a mobilised tent and more or less have a second A&E outside that A&E to free up the ambulances to, to, to put them back on the road to answer the calls 
And once those patients in that um, pop-up tent are gone through a the tent is packed up and that team is gone and they're moved on to the next hospital. So we are assessing patients in tents, Ted, in 2021. That is the aim. In order to free up ambulances, in order to the public, in relation to the instances that you have outlined to me there, in order to make sure that they don't happen going forward. And can and anything happen to stop people time. having to go from Cork to Waterford for an 11-minute transfer? Because that makes no sense. None whatsoever. None whatsoever, PJ. But at the end of the day, that's the court system that they have, that the next available resource... But what is, is SIPTU doing to, to change that, that call system? I mean, you and I are having a very good conversation this morning. Ted, I'm learning a whole lot from it, and so are my listeners. But what I'm not hearing is what SIPTU is going to do about that. Well, what SIPTU is saying quite clearly, and as I said from the outset, there's a capacity review, so more staff is needed. There's no point saying any different. There is more staff needed and more ambulances needed to reduce those type of calls. What we're also looking at is working closely with management within NEOC, within the National Control Centre, to look at their systems that if people, for argument's sake, is coming up to the last hour of their shift, that they wouldn't get a call outside of their base or outside of their area. Mm-hmm. So, so the extended duty wouldn't be extended for four, five or six hours. The whole issue around meal breaks, it's a major bone of contention for our paramedics that they're on the road five, six hours and they can't get a break. Yeah. That's being looked at at the moment, and they're and they're serious issues. Of course, of course. And, but they are being but they are being addressed. Now, and the working groups have 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 finalised. They've sat down with management, and I'm hoping within the next ten days that those um, uh, recommendations will be furnished. Okay. Do, does the public have have a role to play here, Ted, in in the way they use the ambulance service? Yes, they do, and there's no point saying any different. They do, and not only the public but GPs as well. I mean, there's instances that paramedics have said to me where they were dispatched to a call and they went to a house and the lady had a broken toenail. I mean, those ah, type of calls. Away. I am not. I'm telling the truth. There's GPs sending people in by ambulances. For If you ring, for argument's sake, out of our service, right? The, the likes of South Docks of this world. If they, are not prepared, if they are not available to come out to you, they will tell you to call an ambulance. I know people who have called an ambulance with an eye infection. And being transported by ambulance into UHK in Tralee. It's absolutely crazy. There's people out there that see the ambulance. If they can't get a doctor, they'll ring an ambulance. It's a total waste of resources. Now, I guess, you and to be fair, Ted, if you're sick or in pain or all of that, it's, it's the old my sore finger syndrome. Your sore knee, you, yeah, it probably could wait for the GP in the morning. You've fallen on the stairs, you've twisted your knee. It probably could easily wait for the GP in the morning. But you want you want something done. It's human instinct to get an ambulance. Oh, it is, it is, it is. But there has to be an education programme. And I've been saying this to, national, to, to management within the National Ambulance Service. There should be a media-driven um, educational programme in relation to what are the uh, acute calls that people should call the ambulance for. I mean, someone with a twisted knee, maybe there's a family member that could put them in the car and take them into a Yeah. Without the necessity of bringing an ambulance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's afraid to God. And, and this is the thing. I mean, that's a horrifying story when you said there that lady, that individual who drove his mommy to hospital and she died in the car. That's right. Classic scenario. If you have six or seven ambulances in Kerry and they're either all tied up in a or they're out of the county 
I don't recall. And someone gets a cardiac, a cardiac arrest in any one of our major towns that there is an ambulance base in, in Kerry or in Cork, and there's no ambulance. If they're not responded to, the likelihood that that individual will die. Now, it's a fright to God if one of those ambulances could be at that scene, but they're at a scene with someone with a broken toenail. All right. Ted, and that's the harsh realities of life. I'm sure it is. Ted, I leave it there. Thank you very much. It's been a very enlightening and frightening phone call. Uh, that's Ted Kenny. He's the SIP2 representative for uh, ambulance paramedics. It's crackers. It's just crackers. I've, I've told you this before, and I'm worth repeating again. The night my dad died, and look what happened with dad. He, he wasn't going to make it anyway. We now know that. But he was sitting on his bed waiting for an ambulance. The two lads arrived, two wonderful lads. God, they could not have done more for him and they could not have been more skilled and more attentive. They came from Dunagaravan. See? 1857. Nothing against Dungarvan, but it just happens to be quite common in the reports we get. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Just at this stage today, you know, a walk-in COVID vaccination clinic will take place at City Hall on Sunday, 21st, from 1 till 4. You don't need an appointment. Uh, It'll be for first and second doses, and it'll be Pfizer. Available to all those aged 12 and over, 12 to 15-year-olds need to be accompanied by a parent or guardian as consent will be required. So that's a vaccination clinic for first and second doses, Sunday, 1 till 4, at the City Hall. Now, as the booster rollout, they ho- well, we, we hope it gets faster and faster. And remember, Nyack agreed earlier this week that they could move the boosters down now to everyone aged 50 and over and under 50 with underlying conditions or immunocompromised situations or anything like that. But the pharmacies of Ireland are saying, hang on, we can help with this. And they seem to be a bit put out by the fact that they haven't been asked to help because during the summer when we had Johnson & Johnson and other such vaccines around, the pharmacies played a huge role in rolling that out. Dermot Downey is the president of the Irish Pharmacy Union and he's based in Cloyne. Dermot, good morning. Uh, good morning to you, PJ. Uh, you, you could play a major role in the booster campaign, although my first question is, it's not every pharmacy I understand can do it because of the way that the Pfizer vaccine needs to be stored. So I suppose the first thing is, is look, pharmacies are delighted to be able to, to help um, in terms of the vaccination and particularly in terms of the booster doses. Now, the storage isn't an issue anymore oh. in that Pfizer does have a short um, shelf life, but it's not an issue. Initially, there was uh, concerns that it had to be um, stored at minus 70 degrees and that, but um, that is not no longer an issue. So it does have a short shelf life. It can be stored in a pharmacy fridge and uh, many pharmacies have been administering the Pfizer vaccine uh, for the last number of months. So how long will it last now in a regular pharmacy fridge? And I know they're a bit colder than your average kitchen fridge. Like, How, how long will it last? Yeah, um, you know, up to a month or, or maybe maybe marginally longer. But what, what I would say is that 
so that's not an issue. I suppose the key thing maybe to, to get across to listeners today is that um, pharmacies at the moment can vaccinate healthcare workers. So if you're a frontline healthcare worker, you can be vaccinating your pharmacy and also and individuals over 60. This is for the booster vaccine for both healthcare workers and individuals over 60. In terms of the, the two categories that you mentioned there, PJ, a few minutes ago, individuals 50 to 59 and immunocompromised, community pharmacies will be able to vaccinate uh, booster dose for those but just not yet there's um, some small tweaking in terms of operational guidance that needs to happen but and and your point I suppose not every pharmacy is doing it at the moment um, it really is down to capacity and manpower but um, it's great that pharmacies are able to do it and uh, it's great that people won't have to travel huge distances yeah. say if they're down in West Cork or whatever to the vaccination centres We also don't seem to have a stock issue at the moment <laughs> Yeah, no, that's correct. I mean, the system is is, is well set up now. So um, generally pharmacies get deliveries every two weeks. It's a bit like the flu vaccine programme. So that's not an issue. And in fairness, um, I suppose you have to say that so far it's been a very successful um, vaccine rollout. And, you know, in terms of our numbers of vaccinated people with first and second dose, probably the highest in Europe. Um, admittedly, what we're doing now with the booster programme, again, is prioritising those in greatest need. So working with the higher risk groups and working working down um, that in a stratified manner. And look, it's, it's, it's good that pharmacies are able to help out uh, in this programme. And um, we're looking forward to, as I say, uh, starting, I think we start on Wednesday mm. for the healthcare workers and those over 60. And it'll probably be sometime next week once the um, the operational guidance and that has passed that we'll be able to go um, below the age of, of 60. And are those walk-ups, Dermot, for someone in that category that you can... Do, do you know, PJ, to be fair, um, your, look, your average community pharmacy, you know, if they're doing um, a set of vaccines, say with the Pfizer vaccines, normally six doses, they may decide to do, say, six or 12 in a day. They may decide to do six of an evening, depending on how their workflow is set up. So really, pharmacies are a bit different to the vaccination centres in that um, we're doing our other job as well. So based on that, most pharmacies would like to plan and plan ahead because, again, our key is we don't want to waste doses at all. So generally, it's, it's in kind of um, it's in batches of six that we're trying to do from an appointment perspective. Now, obviously, if someone um, walks up to the pharmacy and a pharmacy, a pharmacy has only done five that morning and they have an extra vial, I'm sure they'll facilitate. But yeah. really, based on manpower and structures, the best thing to do is, is to check with your local pharmacy uh, firstly see if they're doing it secondly see then uh, how is the appointment system set up is it by phone or through a pharmacy app and then you know to book your appointment okay a question that will pop into somebody's mind because it popped into mine if i'm also in a category dermot where i would get a flu vaccine every november or december can i get the two on the same day yeah, I don't see any issue why 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 people can't do that. Um, again, they're working for against let's say uh, d- different things. I suppose the key thing is that generally, you know, if people are unwell, um, it's it's prudent not to get yeah. the vaccine or both vaccines at the same time because the body basically um, has to kick its immune system um, into action. And you know, if you're feeling unwell, your immune system can be a bit off. So that's the main prudent thing. But in terms of um, Pharmacies at the moment are very busy with the flu vaccine program as well. 
we're also vaccinating um, the children, particularly children over two with the nasal flu vaccine. So mm. I think that's really important. And just, just on that one, PJ, maybe while I have you, yeah. um, you know, we, we found that um, certainly data from the Southern Hemisphere has seen that the rise in respiratory illness has been very, very high in the um, children and young young age cohorts um, in the past season. And the reason seems to be is that uh, there was less mixing, so there's less immunity built up. And certainly anecdotally, we're seeing that in pharmacies. We're seeing a lot more antibiotics and steroids prescribed than in the last year and a half. Yeah. Um, so look, I think it is very prudent that um, the children in particular would look to get the nasal flu vaccine and it's just a spray up the nose. Okay. All right. Thanks for your time. And it's Dermot Toomey. Um, based in Cloyne, the Cloyne Pharmacy, president of the Irish Pharmacy Union. So for eligible cohorts, the pharmacies are starting to give out the Pfizer vaccine in the next week or so. That's the over 60s and those with immunocompromised and etc, etc. Just call your local pharmacy and they'll tell you whether you're A, eligible or B, they have an appointment for you. And I didn't know that. They learn something new every day in this business. That's, they've now come to a point where Pfizer can last a lot longer than we thought in a pharmacy fridge, which is surely in advance. 1850-715-996 on ambulance as well. That sent Michael's blessing of the graves and while she was there, a lady fell. She had a nasty injury on her forehead. A caller was, uh, this, this caller was trained in first aid and helped the woman. They were told to wait three hours for an ambulance. The caller and the caretaker at the graveyard offered to take the injured lady to the Mercy where she got 10 stitches. Staff there were concerned she'd lost a bit of blood. Not life-threatening, but not good either. Three hours for an ambulance for that. Caller then says, I have an ambulance outside my door now checking for COVID-19. What did that gentleman say? What Ted said was that the ambulances that are going around on checking for COVID or COVID testing duties or whatever are not being staffed by the kind of staff that he's talking about. In other words, and you're not taking paramedics out of the system to staff those ambulances. Uh, That's my clear understanding from talking to Ted. John says, none of this had happened if politicians were asked to use the same system as the rest of us. We've all heard the stories about army helicopters being used to ferry top politicians to the best private hospitals when they're in trouble. They're not paying for COVID antigen tests. Whatever arrangement they're coming to, they still don't pay. Caller waiting for 3.5 hours, three and a half hours for an ambulance when I had chest pains, ended up going by car in the end. It just added to the stress. Fire brigade staff all have AEDs and our first responders. Can we not deploy them to some emergencies? Yeah, that's defibrillators and stuff. Yeah, that's a very absolutely logical question. PJ regarding the lack of ambulance says, nobody in the Doyle has batted an eyelid the fact that a billion will be sent in foreign aid in 2022. Priorities, hey? Hi, PJ. Remember our conversation a few years ago? Elderly lady fell in her upstairs bedroom, her mobile phone and contact numbers downstairs. She was able to reach her landline next to her, dialed 999. She was asked for her postcode but didn't know it. Was stuck in her bedroom for two days. Thankfully, she was found by her home help and she was okay. Know your air code is vitally important. Situation in the health service is a national emergency. Why are we not using a resource that's readily available and paid for by public funds, namely the army? We're a neutral country. We've been paying the army for years to sit in the barracks. At what point do we accept as a country that we do have a national emergency on our hands? I'm an Irish listener overseas, horrified and reluctant now to repatriate. My husband has motor neuron disease. He took a turn a few weeks ago. 
The ambulance took an hour and a half. We were two hours in the ambulance, then outside CUH. They kept the engine on, and they got us tea. They were brilliant. Once we get into the ward, it was chaotic. When he was discharged, he was in an awful state. I couldn't talk to anybody. But the paramedics were just brilliant in their care and let us not for one second suggest that the paramedics paramedics are anything other than fantastic. But we are inundated with people just adding to the stuff we were talking to Ted Kenny about. It's an emergency. It has to be classed as an emergency at this stage. I was a carer in the community for two years. Had to call an ambulance once for a client who'd fallen. We couldn't get her up off the floor. Now it took an hour to get an ambulance to come, but the ambulance crew were incredible. Couldn't praise them enough. On the Downey inquest, that tragic inquest, Maria says someone should be allowed to stay with you in your private room in the hospital after you have your baby if you've other children at home, your partner can't be with you all the time, so you're left alone there. After I had my C-section, I couldn't move. My mother was asked to leave three times in an afternoon. Then when I was alone, I couldn't take my baby from the crib as I couldn't move. I can't imagine what that poor woman went through being there alone in that room. I think the... And Dr. Bolster, the assistant state pathologist, and I attended many inquests where Dr. Bolster gave evidence. One thing she is is a very caring woman for the family left behind. She always has a word of reassurance for the family left behind. And she reassured the Downies, Mr. Downey, that his wife would have suffered nothing. She would not even have known what was happening. Her death would have been instant, and that must have been some, some consolation at least 1850 also coming up what what is she talking about here if they say we need a doctor i will of course stand up and say i am a doctor i can do this what's that about the answer between 11 and 12 and this one of course there's going to be uh, an irish girl here in a brewery of course there's an irish girl in a brewery but she's actually quite okay with exactly what he said. And today is International Men's Day. While we're at it, go on, tell us why we think we're great. Or maybe the women in our lives can tell us why we're great. International Men's Day, I'd, I'd completely forgotten about it, but it is. So if, if you think men are great, or the men in your life are great, or if there's a man in your life that you want to say he's great and tell us why... The floor is yours. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie we're back to the music. The Quartz 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. We're inundated, I tell you now, inundated with responses to our ambulance uh, situation item in the first hour. I'll come back to them because some of the comments are quite long. We'll take some time to read, but they're very detailed and all telling similar stories of how banjaxed the system is. And let's just say that's exactly what it is. The system is is just knackered, wrecked, destroyed. It's just in a mess. And let's let's call it what it is. And just while all those messages were coming in, so too did the trolley watch numbers from the Irish Nursing and Midwives Organisation. Uh, they tell us this morning they do these numbers every morning at eight o'clock. So there were thirty people on trolleys this morning at CUH and seventeen at the Mercy. So we've forty-seven people on trolleys in Cork this morning. That's quiet for a Friday morning but busy heading into a weekend 1850 there are calls for a citizens assembly on the law surrounding drugs and availability and use and legalisation of drugs Anna Quigley is the coordinator of the citywide drugs crisis campaign Anna good morning to you Morning, PJ. Good to talk to you. And you. It's it's a constant discussion. You know, what do we do with drugs? Do we legalise? Do we partly legalise? Do we decriminalise? What do we decriminalise? Why do we need a citizens' assembly? Yeah, well, I suppose, PJ, and, and obviously all the issues you've you've listed there are really important ones, but we think it's important as well. Like, we're always kind of a bit anxious at the debate around drugs, the drugs issue, and how we deal with the drugs issue, what kind of drug policy should we have? Um, they can get very um, focused on the words like legalisation and decriminalisation and so on. And like we always say, you know, you can't look at those, uh, have those discussions without looking at kind of the context that drug use is happening in. Because for us, looking at a citizens' assembly, it, it isn't just about those issues. And I'm going to talk about these issues in a minute, but it isn't just about those issues. So I suppose the best way to illustrate, PJ, is that if you look at uh, Citywide, we're the network of community organisations. And even though the name is Citywide, we have um, groups from right across the country in communities, right, right across the country, rural communities as well now too, um, where, where drugs has become a huge issue. And again, it's the learning like when 25 years ago when Citywide was set up, that was in response to the really serious heroin problem in Dublin yeah. at the time. Yeah. And again, back then in those days, you know, the, our members, people were marching, people were looking for tougher laws. People saw, they saw, look, the... the, the um, the response we need to this is the law and order one and tough laws and people supported it. But what we've learned, we're 25 years dealing with this drugs issue now, PJ, and what we've learned is, first of all, as, as people have got involved locally in uh, in in services to develop, development services in their own local communities to help the people in their communities who are impacted by drugs and their families, we've begun to realise that by criminalising people at the same time as you're trying to help and support them, it's a complete, it doesn't make any sense because 
the state is putting resources into services that are there to support people to move on with their lives to make progress. On the other hand, we're criminalising them, which is something that causes huge difficulty for people right throughout their lives. And again, as you come to understand addiction, you know, and that is a big issue. Um, it's really important as part of the Citizens Assembly. We have to have kind of a discussion about what addiction is and helping people to understand it. Because, I mean, people who are involved, people who, are, who have a family member, people who've been involved in addiction themselves, they understand it. But generally, there's kind of this sense, a lot of the time, PJ, of, of a sort of blame, you know, the kind yeah. of thing, well, you know, if people didn't didn't start, they wouldn't they wouldn't end up addicted. Now, of course, we don't take that view with alcohol in this country, you know. Yeah. Um, but again, the whole understanding of addiction and, and how it works and the links to addiction is hugely, hugely connected to mental health. Um, and we know as well that the worst still after 25 years, we would have hoped this would have changed. The, the, the worst impact of the drug problems, the people most vulnerable because of drug use and addiction are still the people in our most yeah. adva- disadvantaged communities. That continues to be the case. So we need to take all that on board. When when you look at that broader context, as, as I'm saying, you kind of say, okay, well, what exactly are we achieving by, by criminalising yeah. people? Two, two things that are often said, uh, Anna, uh, would yeah. be, number one, the war on drugs was lost a long time ago. And yeah, number yeah, two, yeah. number two, what we've been doing hasn't been working, so we need to do something different. Yeah, yeah, and you see, we did have like, and and tw- this is one of the things I suppose the frustrates straight us, PJ, that we did for a while have a model that was working really well because after like 25 years ago and after the shooting of Veronica Guerin and kind of the state woke up to the seriousness of the problem, at the time they took an approach which is just total common sense. What they said was when Pat Rebert, the minister at the time, because communities had been had been drawn attention to this serious issue for a long time and weren't paid any attention to. So he said, okay, we didn't listen to you. In future, we must always listen to the people on the ground because that's reality. We have to respond to the reality of how the drugs issue is impacting on the ground in our local communities. So they set up structures that brought on board um, the people in the communities, the people who knew most about the, the issue, the people who were experiencing the addiction issue within their own family, with themselves, within their communities, brought those people on board as part part of the decision making and set up the structures, the task forces, which we still have. And again, just brought all the agencies on board because again, you can't look at addiction, you can't look at, at the use of a drug without looking at the broader issues. Mm. Um, you know, people that all of the, and, and again, all this is, is kind of well, yeah. well, we, we know this, we're saying it over and over again. But, but there's there a so saying, many- Anna, in disability, for example, in disability advocacy, there's a saying nothing about us without us. And should that Absolutely. be the same for drugs? Absolutely. And it was, Peter, that's the frustrating thing. It was for a number of years after 1995. But unfortunately now, as time has gone on, and this is what happens, you know, the issue was a political priority for a while. So the community were needed, basically, because the state knew it couldn't. It couldn't address the issue without the expertise of the people on the ground who knew what was happening. Um, And it brought them into this partnership with the state. But in recent years, that has just, you know, it has faded away. And now they're not listening anymore. I mean, again, I know that the most recent example in the media has been the, the situation in Tallaght, um, you know, where they, they've had to basically 
you know, go go into a situation of almost begging for the money. They, they've a, a massive, massive problem there with crack yeah. cocaine. And the other yeah. thing is, like, 25 years ago, it was heroin. That was the huge problem. Oh, Anna, um, I don't, with, with, with respect to Tala, I, I wouldn't have to go to Tala uh, to, to find serious no, drug problems. I'd have to take about absolutely. three and a half minute walk from where I'm sitting here and I'd find absolutely, serious problems. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, yeah. my point is there that they went public on it in the end, which is not an easy thing to do because, again, you're not encouraged to do that. You know, people are supposed to stay quiet. And I know there's been a great uh, local drug task force in Cork there um, since the very beginning. It was one of the original ones set up and great work done there to involve the community, a great community community development worker there. But the difficulty, again, is that the the, the task forces now, really, they're not, um, they were set up originally to respond to local needs. The idea, give the people around the table locally, like the people down in Cork City know best what's needed around the drug issue in Cork City, not somebody sitting in an office up in an apartment in Dublin. So the idea of the task force is bring all of the agencies that are involved that are relevant around the table together, whether that's the police, the, the schools, the youth services, the you know the, the treatment services, bring them all around together, the table together with the members of the community who know exactly what's going on, as you described there yourself, yeah. and everyone work together to come up with the solutions. It's common sense, doesn't that yeah. sound like well, common sense? Well, you see, that, that's the problem we have, Anna, in Ireland. And not the common sense isn't all that yeah. common. Yeah. Let me let me yeah. come to the yeah. Citizens' Assembly. It, it is in the programme for government that there will be it one. It is in the programme for government, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, and again, you know, that, that at least is progress. That is, yeah, yeah. No, and the Taoiseach in the Dáil, to be fair, um, a couple of weeks ago did say that he would like to see it happen in 2022. Um, so obviously we'll be, you know, looking looking for that to happen. Again, we just feel we need to change direction, uh, an entire direction in our drugs policy. We're not dealing with the underlying issues and the underlying causes, even though for 25 years we've been aware of what they are. Um, uh, and, and we're not looking, we, again, we continue, like I think it was the, the total figure is over, over a quarter of a million people have been criminalised since 1996 just for possession of drugs, having drugs in their possession for their own use. And to be honest with you, the vast majority of people now, if you say to them, do you think that if somebody has drugs in their possession to use themselves, that they should be should become a criminal, should be made a criminal? The vast majority of people in our experience now don't think that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and again, people look as well at the one of the things in our communities that's most striking is that like, you know, 20 years ago, people went out and they marched and they were vocal about their feelings around the drugs issue. Same in, in communities in Cork. People would have been standing up and saying, you know, we're not having this. People don't do that anymore, Peter. And that's because of the violence, the intimidation, the fear that goes with an illegal drugs trade. And nobody's, there's no simple solutions to this. Again, there's lots and lots of, of you know, um, issues that need to be looked at. It's not a simple thing of, of uh, you know, you just change the law. We, we, we know that changing laws doesn't change it. But we have to start asking asking ourselves these questions, um, you know, because we have, we've, we've tried various kind of intimidation reporting systems so that family, you know, people can, can, um, can confidentially report on what's happening to them. But then in the end of the day, if any action has to happen, they have to put their name at the bottom of the statement and people are not going to put their name mm. at the bottom of the statement. So we have to stop just turning our back on these problems. We've got to say, look, this is the reality we have. Mm. Um, but also the re- and also acknowledge the reality that yeah. it is still within the most disadvantaged areas yeah. that the drug problem has the worst impact. It the is, fear, the fear is areas. out there. I mean, the fear of reprisals is out there. And I know myself, yeah, yeah, and yeah, uh, we know here is. as a team on the programme, there'll be something happening, uh, again, five yeah. minutes away from here, dealing yeah. Or, yeah. or something is happening and people yeah. know... 
and they just will not open their mouths. They'll go inside and they yeah. lock their door and yeah. they close their curtains for fear of reprisals. Yeah, yeah. And we need to look at that. Like, no, there's no simple solutions to any of this. But it's back to the same point, PJ. If we we all have to come together and put our collective brains together, like nobody on their own has the answer to this. But we need to hear from the people in the communities who are experiencing that. We need to hear from them what their lives are like and what would make a difference. We need to have all the statutory agencies around the table. Okay. But the point is, it's only going to be any use if people can have honest, open conversations. And unfortunately, it can be very difficult for people in statutory agencies to do that and um, to know that the feeling is well you know we this is what our role is and this is what we do um, and we need to get back to because we did have it before we're not living in cloud cuckoo land we did have a genuine kind of interagency partnership situation where everyone just focused on what is the problem and what we need to do about it and what can we do okay. and we need to stay we need to we need to get back to that way of thinking instead of just saying, oh, no, that can't. Because that really is a lot of the a lot of the response these days where we couldn't do that and we couldn't do that. And, so, you know, because it's like... Assuming yeah. that we do get this Citizens' Assembly, like yeah. what what would you like to see discussed, debated? How would, you, how would it work? We know how the Citizens' Assembly works. Yeah. It's selected by, like effectively, by an, like an opinion poll. People are just randomly yeah, selected. Yeah, that's but right. The, the, yeah. Would that work... For a, a citizens' assembly, and and what would you like to see? If there were two or three things to prioritize well, yeah. in a couple of minutes, what what would they be? Well, the yeah, what we prioritize is first of all the that. It, voice of the communities most affected needs to be heard, the people most and that that's not just the general community that includes people who are using drugs and their families, because again we don't want any kind of um, division, people who, who use drugs and their families, they're part of our community, so we all need to work together, but that voice needs to be strong because it's the voice of reality, it's the voice of what's actually going on on the ground that's one thing, that voice needs to be heard really really strongly, the lived experience as it's called, and um, we need to look at the link between um, drugs and poverty and address that because again there were there were attempts to do that PJ in the earlier days where um, the, the original rapid program the, which was investment in the areas that are most disadvantaged it was recognised there was a need for significant investment into those communities in order to you know address a lot of the other issues and not all again those programmes they start with a great you know bit of publicity and then yeah. they fade away there was a Young People's Facility Services Fund which was part of the drug strategy and that was and, and that there was some great facilities um, developed and, and services for, for young people developed but you, you always get just this you know, it happens for a short while and then, you know, it's yeah. kind of the, the momentum goes out. of. But we need to just, we need to totally commit to that approach that you cannot solve the issue around drugs if you don't have a um, coordinated approach around yeah. all those no, issues. Nothing about we us without us. Look at, absolutely. And the stigma in relation, like, to because we see the, the fact that people are criminalised has been hugely linked to the, there's just a massive stigma around drug use. Okay. And then we've been doing work on that because people who who are have been drug users, they talk about the just the, the the incredible stigma they experience. And again, it's interesting because we've looked at this. We 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 developed a campaign twenty eighteen. We launched a campaign around drug related stigma. And again, it's interesting. Like one of the questions, um, there was a bit of research done for us, and one of the questions to people was, was would you be happy to live next door to someone who's using drugs? And I think something like sixty percent of people said no and we thought about how would you even know do you know, how do you know someone next <laughs> yeah. door to you is not like using coca but the point there is what people that's really an issue about poverty because when people are asked about people who use drugs what they have an image in their head 
of the people who are who are in most difficulty, the people who tend to be on the street, the people who have serious drug problems. That's the image. And the stigma is actually around being poor more than around the drug. Right. Because if you're a, a, someone who uses drugs, you know, who can do it in the comfort of your own home and um, where nobody sees you, then the stigma isn't really there. Yeah. Do you know what and I'm going so to do, that Anna? stigma I, has I, to be... I'll come back to this on another occasion because I know that yeah, we've got right. more to do. But... So 2022 is when the Taoiseach says he hopes it'll come together. And I think the the message that you're giving us this morning is we used to do it inclusively. Yeah. And if we're going to have yeah. a Citizens' Assembly, whatever's discussed, that too has to happen inclusively. Absolutely. All right. 100%. The all communities, right. people who use drugs, their families, all, if they're not in there, then we won't be tackling reality. And if we're talking away about stuff that's not real well we're just wasting our time so let's have the reality let's put a reality on the agenda All right. that's what we need to do Alright Anna we'll talk again Anna Quigley coordinator of Citywide the Drugs Crisis Campaign which is actually countrywide that's something we'll come back to it reminds me very much of the words of a man from UCC who used to be a regular on the programme a number of years ago Pat Leahy Pat spoke very bluntly about this kind of thing and he said look you've got to talk to the people who are actually involved because if you're not involved with all due respect to you you don't know what you're talking about 1850 I knew we'd get this I knew we'd get <laughs> I did ask if you, if you have a man in your life or in your world and you want to tell me why he's so wonderful uh, you can do that today for International Men's Day and this comes in Every day is International Men's Day. It's a man's world. See, you can't win. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Ross's life advice. Use an electric mixer to shred chicken. I don't know, that's that is good. genius. Never trust the fart? Never. Very simple. Yeah. Never, ever. ever. Never, ever. Never pick your nose on a bumpy road. <laughs> <laughs> Never shop when you're hungry. That's oh, very I've done, true. Yeah, I've done that many times. Yeah. yeah. You want everything. Yeah. And then you get back and you're like, oh. Nine frozen turkeys. <laughs> Not the smartest move you've ever had. Yeah. Uh, Never accept shade from a tree you wouldn't eat fruit from. Okay. Break that one down now. Don't hide from the shades under an apple tree. Casey and Ross in the morning with No DC Cars Blackpool for Skoda in the City, a long standing tradition in Cork. Open 24 7 at NoDC.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Find out in just a matter of mere moments what was going on here. Of course there's going to be uh, an Irish girl here in a brewery. But first, Ashley, International Men's Day. What is his name? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. So it's um, my husband, Kieran. Right. And why is he great? So he's just been amazing. We've had a very rough couple of years. Um, we um, we had a miscarriage, and then when we had um, our little girl, I suffered very severely with postnatal depression, mm. and he was just amazing. What he put up with, I don't know how he did it. <laughs> And then in the height of that, our little girl ended up in Crumlin with a life-threatening tumour. So we were living up in Dublin in for a little while. But he's been absolutely amazing. All right. And you just wanted to say thanks to him on this Men's Day. Yeah, exactly. All right. Ashley, thank you for your call. Kieran, her rock and her hero, uh, International Men's Day. Anybody in your life, any man in your life that you'd like to mention like that just for the day that is in it, International Men's Day. 1850 715 Now, what was going on here? This is the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and he was visiting a massive brewery, Toohey's, or a massive brewery company in Australia. And he was visiting the brewery and here's what he said. And of course, Claire from Ireland. Um, of course, there's going to be uh, an Irish girl here in a brewery um, with their brewing skills. And these skills are being brought from all around the world. But it's great to see female apprentices, female engineers here, part of the biggest brewery operation here in New South Wales and the second biggest in the country. Now, for some reason, Woke World went and lost its shirt at that comment. I got the joke. I got what he was saying. And Claire from Ireland, well, actually, she's Claire from Blarney. Hi, Claire. Hi, PJ. How are you? I'm great <laughs> altogether. And great to catch up with you. You got what he was saying. How did you end up to be working in Toohey's? Oh, it's been a, it's quite the process, but I've only actually started there about three months ago. Right. Um, I started talking to him about a, about a year ago um, and finally the job came good and I started about three or four months ago now. And uh, Thursday was certainly the most interesting day I've had in there. <laughs> what, what do you do, Claire? Um, I'm actually working on a packaging line at the moment. So I work on, I've got two filling machines, um, so it's about 850 bottles a minute on each. 
So I do about 51,000 bottles on each an hour. Um, and I just maintain the process, maintain the quality of the product and the, the glass, the crowns, the labels, all of that. So yeah. um, just still finding my feet in there. So Yeah, and of course... It's typical. Prime Minister, like a Taoiseach or any other minister, will visit the brewery and there'll be a very special occasion laid on and all of that. And the, there'll be there'll be a speech. People lost their minds over what he said, but you completely got it, didn't you? Oh, it didn't bother me in the slightest. Like, I took no offence. I, th- I think it's quite funny. Like, I mean, it's true. I, I am Irish. I'm working in a brewery. It's um, and I suppose, like, I see where people picked it up, but I certainly didn't pick it up like that. Mm-hmm. I took the comment in jest as as he made it. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just having a laugh off it all, to be honest. Good, and good. The last 24 hours have been quite quite good fun for me. Good, good. So tell us a bit about yourself, Claire. There you were working away quietly in Tuohys before you made national news all over <laughs> yeah. Australia. How did you get I from know. Barney to where you are now? Um, so I first off, I studied food science in UCC um, and through that I got basically an internship um, as part of the program for six months in Irish distillers down in Middleton. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much on my first day, I said, God, this is this is the industry I want to stay in. So um, I've done that. I've stayed in it. And I went on to do a master's in brewing and distilling just after my um, undergrad in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And... From there, went to a distillery in Longford, um, Lockery, where we launched a gin. And then, oh, I had went back to Jemison for a little bit for a couple of months afterwards, actually, and then went on to Lockery. Um, and then left Lockery to come here just for a change of scenery and just to move to the other side of the world for a little bit. And, and you landed uh, there just literally as the pandemic struck? Yeah, just I got a job in a distillery here as a distiller. And I think after six or seven weeks, it was kind of like, okay, <laughs> this is it. Um, so everything had worked out and then it all kind of fell apart um, pretty quickly, but we stuck it out and we ended up, I was in and out of breweries and distilleries for the last couple of months, but finally kind of got this permanent role mm-hmm. um, in Tui's not, not too long ago, which is great yeah. just to have something more secure here on, on a working holiday visa. It's, cu- it's quite hard. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's been great. Yeah. Tuohy's is an enormous uh, brewing, ch- brewing chain in Australia, isn't it? It is. It's huge. I think it's the second biz- biggest in Australia, and then it's the biggest in New South Wales, so um, biggest in Sydney. So I'm thrilled to be in there finally and um, finding my feet, and I'm going to be there for the foreseeable all-going-well visa-wise, so, yeah. which is great. You've got to get that just paperwork just sorted out. Yeah. I do. Hopefully my new friend Scott Morrison can help me out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Claire, it's fantastic to catch up with you and we wish you every success. Like, I don't want to talk about the pandemic much, but I mean, like you said, it was it was rough. But I, I take it everything is everything okay now? Is life relatively normal now? Life is, yeah, it is normal here. And I suppose rough here wasn't a patch on what you went through, I don't think. But in terms of being away from home and seeing it all unfold at home, it was quite rough in that sense as well. But um, we are relatively normal here. We went from full lockdown to 
say, getting back to bars and restaurants and then back to dancing and back to standing up drinking within two or three weeks. It wasn't, it wasn't the long process at all that you've had. Um, So hopefully we're out the other side now. And I see vaccination seems to be flying over there now. It was slow for a while. It seems to be going well. Yeah, it was. It was slow. And I I worked in that as well a little bit for a couple of months. Just, yeah, I just did a little admin role just in between jobs, um, which was great to kind of help out and do that. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was nice to see it, and it was it was a rush at the time, but it was it was good fun. Um, right. Okay. So yeah, we got there in the end with the vaccination rates. <laughs> you, you won't you won't be home this Christmas, but probably next year, I suppose. Definitely home for Christmas next year. I have a wedding in Cork and uh, I'll be sticking around for Christmas. So. <laughs> all right. All right. Listen, fantastic to talk to you, Claire. And, and you keep up the Thank great work with, 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 with two he's, um, and good, good to catch up with you. It's Claire Hallisey from Blarney. She is, as Scott, as Scott Morrison said. Of course, there's going to be uh, an Irish girl here in a brewery. She's the girl in the brewery and she's on the opinion line. Thanks, Claire. 18 and good luck. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. The Darkness have announced plans to bring their Motorheart Tour to Cypress Avenue in February 2022. The UK rockers return to Cypress Avenue for the show, taking place on Saturday 26th of February with tickets on sale now from the venue's website. Access all areas. The Quiet Lights Festival has brought some of the best Irish and international acts to Cork City's venues over the years and it takes place this weekend featuring artists such as Lisa O'Neill, The Lost Brothers, Anna Mika, Junior Brother and more. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway. With Douglas Village Shopping Centre. For toys, food, fashion and lifestyle. 50 years at the heart of the village. We had a good week on the opinion line. The 10K Toy Giveaway. We had two of our qualifiers went on to win the 500 euro shopping voucher. We had Grace... And we had Diane, or, yeah, Grace and Diane went on to win. Let's see. What can we do for Tanya? Hey, Tanya. Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm all right now. I'm all right. Tell me, how easily would you get rid of 500 quid on toys? Oh, I said not even an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you not have? Not even an hour. Who do you have? I have four. I have Kayla, Calvin, Dion, and Lisa. They're from, well... The oldest one is 10, the youngest is 3. So it's an expensive time of the year. 
you'd burn that 500 quid in half I an tell hour. You, yeah. I, I think you're being generous giving yourself an hour. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, my little army, anyway. I, I, I'm trying out this Monday. I'm determined to win. I'm not giving up. Well, <laughs> at least you get to this stage. And if you get through this stage, you go to the draw. I think Wayne is making the draw today between uh, four and eight. Uh, there are two winners every day. And we send forward our qualifier, assuming that you qualify. So I have a question for you. This is a, Christ- a Christmas question. Yeah. See, five weeks today, Christmas Eve. Just reminding people to make them even more nervous than they already are. Five weeks <laughs> today, Christmas Eve. What meat is traditionally eaten? A or B. What meat is traditionally eaten on Christmas Day? Is it A, beef, or B, turkey? A turkey. Turkey, beef. of course it is. Now, I know we'll probably, we'll probably get a call from someone saying, well, me, I have beef, but it's all, <laughs> it's turkey. Listen, delighted for you. Uh, what that does, that puts you through to our draw. Thanks okay. very much. So, I'll be back in ours now all day. <laughs> You'll be in the draw this evening. There are two sprees given out every evening from all the daily qualifiers. So good luck this evening. Thanks very much, PJ, and have a great day. All Let's right. As always. What's that? I said love the show as always. Thank you very much, Tanya. Really appreciate that. She's back with you there, Fee, just to get more details from her. A reminder to you, of course, the 10K toy giveaway is with Douglas Village Shopping Centre. 50 years at the heart of the village. It looks like it is going to get cold. Now, it has been a very mild November, a very pleasantly mild November, but that is about to change. And the man who's been calling the weather sometimes two weeks out, all year, is back with us on the Opinion Line. And that's Alan O'Reilly from Carla Weather. Watching your Twitter the last few days, Alan, the models, the various models that you use, they're coming together and it is going to get cold. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. It certainly is time to dig out the long johns and try and find the warm woolies, as you say, because we're going to see a plunge of cold air coming down from the north on Sunday. Um, So today is still mild. Tomorrow will be mild. Um, but cloudy with some rain crossing the country. Now, by the time it reaches the south coast, it'll have pretty much died out, a little bit left in it. But once that um, rain clears, we have much, much colder air following in. So when people get up on Sunday morning and head out, they're going to feel a bit of a wind chill that is going to feel a lot, lot colder than what we've had because, as you say, it's been exceptionally mild. Now, it does look largely dry, and there actually even be some nice sunny spells. So once you wrap up, um, it'll actually be quite nice, apart from that really biting wind. Yeah. That's going to stay cold then into Monday, Tuesday. We'll see some frost. So frost is probably about the only issue that we're going to see, really, for the first half of the week, at least. Um, but there will be good sun, sun, sunny spells. Now, Wednesday and Thursday... There's a little bit of uncertainty. It looks like it might become a little bit less cool for a little while. And then we have some rain possibly coming in on Wednesday. However, the weather models are showing more cold air pushing down again on Thursday. And there is a risk of a few wintry showers with that. Now, don't go getting the snowman carrots ready or anything just yet. Mm. But we could see some wintry showers um, maybe next Thursday and Friday. And some of the weather models kind of show... There was mainly hitting the west and the north, so the south and the east probably escaping the majority of them, yeah. but possibly turning even colder again 
as that cold air comes in at the end of next week. So unfortunately, those heating bills are really going to start to bite now next week. Yeah. What you do, I think, Alan, and we, you've explained this briefly before, is you have access through your computers to all the various models that all the various forecasting agencies use, and you see where they cross. Is that how you do it? Yeah, that, that's that's exactly it. And and the problem is, like, I shared pictures last night of one of the weather models, the European weather model, ECM, put out some crazy charts last night showing over a metre of snow by the end of the week next week. But if you looked at that, just that weather model, and some of the people were sending me screenshots of apps, um, like different apps that were using that, and it showed that exactly that, loads of snow. But none of the other weather models were showing that. And then when you look at what's called the assembles, which is the average even for that weather model, it showed that that was way out of kilter with everything else. So I was trying to reassure people that are looking at weather apps last night that, look, this is very, very much completely on its own. Mm. There's no support for it. And sure enough, this morning, that weather model has now got zero for most of the countries. So you've gone from a metre to zero. So yeah. looking at an individual forecast can really throw you out sometimes. So some of the British newspapers were were predicting heavy snow. Now, it's not unusual from this time on until springtime for Scotland to get snow fairly frequently, but they were looking at some heavy snow right down into the into the British Midlands next week. And I was thinking, well, we'll get a tickle of that, but you're not seeing it. Yeah, well, that, that could exactly could happen because it all depends on where this high pressure out to the west of us sets up. And, and it could be that we end up kind of cool um, but mainly dry with just the odd shower, while at the same time the UK ends up, you know, especially eastern Scotland and England, much colder with some heavy snow. And that is very much can happen, and that's not that unusual to yeah. happen either. But there is an awful lot of uncertainty beyond Wednesday. So, you know, at the moment, wintry showers looks like the main risk for us. Right. But I'm keeping a close eye on that because that high pressure depending on where it sets up, could could change that. But certainly, if people are looking at UK headlines and UK reports, do remember, they can very often, especially on the East Coast, get dramatically different weather than we see here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the way that you were predicting, for example, in the summertime with, with the heat wave, the, the particularly big heat wave that we got in, in the summertime, you were able to call that a couple of weeks out. And when you were on with me here, you were saying that certain conditions, and the other, we've, we use Cahill Nolan from UCC as well, and certain things have to fall into place in the summertime for us to get long periods of hot weather. Is it the same, Alan, in the wintertime, that things have to fall in place for us to get certain conditions? Yeah, exactly that. So what we have now possibly looking likely to set up is we're going to have high pressure out in the Atlantic. So if you think about more, where most of our wet and windy weather comes from, it comes from the west or the southwest. And what we're going to have now is we're going to have a big block and high out to the west. And what that does is it opens up the gates basically to the north and the northeast and the east to allow the colder air to come down and pile in from, you know, from Scandinavia. So exactly that, you need to get the high pressure in the right position but if that high pressure nudges a small bit further east, then the, the, the gate only opens as far as kind of Scotland and East England. It doesn't come as far as us. So that's why these, are, these little bit of moving blocks and all depends on where these blocks set up. But that, we have a high pressure sitting very close to us now for at least the next seven to 10 days. 
which means that we're going to see very little rainfall. And it's been an exceptionally dry November. After some very heavy rain at the it's end of It's been a beautiful November. It's been a really lovely November. I was out in the garden last Saturday. It was lovely. Yeah, it really has been. And, 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 and it's been great that, you know, in, in terms of people's heating bills and that, you know, the, the temperatures have been really unusually mild for this time of year. But we're heading back to normal or even probably below normal by the middle of to late next week. So it is going to be a bit of a shock to people. So maybe whatever your fuel source is, your, your, your sticks, your coal, your gas, whatever it is, heat and oil, you might just want to throw an eye on it and see because people probably haven't been using a lot of it to date. Okay, Alan, thank you. We'll talk again. Alan O'Reilly from Carlow Weather. Worth watching on, on, on Twitter. For, for my money, uh, the most accurate out there. Uh, and I, he's just doing it five, ten, sometimes two weeks in advance. He does it with all the various models. Looking at my own particular favourite app, which is Dark Sky. I keep telling people about this. It confirms what he's saying. Drop in temperatures. Tomorrow, 13 degrees is the high. Sunday, 8 degrees is the high. Monday, 7 degrees. Tuesday, 8 degrees. Wednesday, 10 degrees. Thursday, 7. And this day week, Friday, 7 degrees. Those are your highs. Whereas we've had for the last couple of days, 12, 13 and 14 degrees. So it is going to get much, much colder in the next 48 hours. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Reminder for you, every year in Cork, thousands of you get together to help fight for homelessness with Cork Simon. We're doing it again this year. Restrictions have changed overnight and people who were in their offices are going back to work out of home. All those things are changing, but the Simon Christmas Jumper event continues. It'll be raising vital funds for homelessness in Cork and we're getting together with them here at Cork's 96FM to ask you to host your own Christmas Jumper Day whatever way you feel safest in doing so. Do it within whatever rules and regs apply to you. If you're still in work, do it in work. If you're at home working from home, do it from home. Why not get all of the office staff that are all working from home, have a Zoom with them and Take pictures of you all in your Christmas jumpers or get together with your friends and your family and your buddies overseas that aren't going to be here for Christmas and have a Zoom with them. You can do it any way you like. Get a fundraising pack today at CorkSimon.ie and join Cork's 96FM to help fight homelessness in Cork. 1850-715-996. Coming up in the next hour, what's this about? If they say we need a doctor, I will of course stand up and say... I am a doctor. I can do this. That's next hour. Also, we're still getting lots of messages about ambulances. My, here's one for us from that, about an hour ago. Hi, I broke my knee in Spain. It had to be operated on, but I opted to have the operation at home in CUH. To cut a long story short, I had the operation and I went home. While I was at home, I slipped. And what happened only? I dislocated my other knee. Oh, God. Couldn't walk at all. I had no choice just to call an ambulance. I was about two hours waiting. But my point is that when the two lovely ambulance people arrived, they told me they had been dispatched from Waterford an hour before their shift finished. I'm living in Cloyne. 
Now, they couldn't have been more helpful or professional or caring, but that's disgraceful. The poor lads, something needs to change dramatically before there's a serious accident and our wonderful ambulance crews lose their lives on the road. There you are, another ambulance dispatched from Waterford to Cloyne. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Here's a good one. Uh, good morning, PJ. On Tuesday, I got a text message from HSE saying, open a website. Now, I've had so many scam texts... So as usual, I didn't open it. And I was told my GP would contact me about the booster. So I was very wary about opening this website. Yesterday, I got a text message again from HSE saying I'd missed my appointment. And on the news last night, they said a lot of people hadn't taken up the booster offer. Is it any wonder? Thanks, PJ. I just thought I'd put it out there. Yeah, in in the context of there being so many scam texts and so many scam messages coming by text and people being told not to click on links they get in a text, you can see why people would be nervous about clicking on a link within a text that purports to come from the HSE. So you'd see why that person would be nervous. I know that some people in their 50s are being called at the moment and getting appointments at the moment. So And they're coming through their GP clinics. So it's happening for sure. But I, I, I have to say, look, they probably have no other way of doing it. But that idea of sending a text message with a with a, a link in it to click upon, we're being told time and time again. And how we speak to people here in the opinion line who clicked on a link and found their bank accounts cleaned out. So they're going to be wary, and they're going to be half afraid. It's worth thinking about. Charming new book out called The Santa List asks the question, what would you do if Santa put you on his naughty list? Oh dear. Kieran Crowley, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Congratulations. Where did the idea come from? Thanks very much. Well, the idea came from um, partly from my childhood. I loved Christmas when I was growing up. I loved being off school and sitting down by the fire, eating a selection box for breakfast and reading lots and lots of books. So I kind of watched don't lie to me. You still do that. I, I do actually still do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't deny it. I do. I do love my Friday treats and things like that. Yes, but so um, so I kind of wanted to re- recreate that feeling for for children um, in, in the present day. So I kind of took all those memories and put them all into into one book. Now I was a, a kind of a very well behaved child. Unfortunately, I wasn't that mischievous when I was younger. So I made the characters in this book a little bit more mischievous than I would have been. This is the story of Ashling and Joe and their babysitter. Yes, yeah, so it's uh, it's about a brother and sister, like like you said, Ashling and Joe, and they're kind of in trouble with their parents all through the year. But then suddenly when it gets to December, they're very well behaved, kind of somewhat suspiciously really. And they think that if they're good in the run-up to Christmas, they'll be on Santa's nice list and get lots and lots of presents. And that usually works too, but uh, this year it's a little bit different. When they annoy their kind of a new, strict new babysitter, Mrs. Groff from the Granite and Steel Babysitting Company, 
She writes up ones and asks him to put them on. <laughs> Gran- granite and steel babysitting company. They're a, a, an ex-army. So like they, they can, they're good at sewing and hoovering and cooking, but they can also kind of climb cliffs and things like that. Yeah. So they're all they're all army trained for so, so for the children that are kind of really troublesome. These are these are the, the, the company for you. So you know what? They, There's a lot of parents listening who are hoping that's a real company and can they hire them? <laughs> Well, well, maybe maybe I should set it up myself. Actually, <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea. So uh, when when they announced it, she she writes to Santa and asks him to put them on the naughty list. And of course, this is a disaster for them. And so they've only three days to get back in Santa's good books, or they face the prospect of not getting any presents at all. Mm-hmm. And they think they've only two options. One is to be very very well behaved and do lots of good deeds, and the second one is to steal the naughty list so Santa won't know they're on it. And you can probably guess which one they do. Of course, they do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and just. Yeah. It's 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 a children's book, but I think it can be well enjoyed by adults too, Kieran. I, I hope so. I've kind of put, um, you know, you have the children who kind of are mad to get their presents, but there's kind of different aspects uh, of Christmas because I know not everybody enjoys Christmas. So you have a, a character in there who's a little bit miserable and kind of wants everybody to be as miserable as he is at Christmas time, and you know, and you kind of look at the reasons behind that from his point of view as well. And it's it's more about everybody kind of trying to get together and make sure we're all kind of good at that time of year. Mm. So it's kind of a, a comedy adventure, but there's a little, little bit of a Super. background to it as where, well. Where can we get it? You can get it in, in all bookshops now and online. Um, I know they've all the Cork City Centre bookshops have it, um, inside in Waterstones and Vibes and Scribes, and then my local bookshops, Phillips and Easons and Mallow, Cantor Bookshop, and hopefully all over the, the country now at the moment. Okay, well, we wish you well with it, Kieran. Uh, always good to get new books, and particularly new books for, for young people. The Santa List by Kieran Crowley is out at the moment. Good book for for Christmas. Uh, for the for the kids and I think for the whole family but I do like that idea do you know what I'm always saying about Christmas the day is five five weeks today is Christmas Eve do you know my favourite three days of the year other than the first three days of my holidays are the 27th 28th and 29th of December because those are the mornings that you'll have the selection box for your breakfast looking forward to them can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. Another one of our ambulance messages. This one might not go down too well, but worth hearing. Hi PJ, on the topic of ambulance shortages, I wanted to mention something. On a mum's Facebook group that I'm part of, I've seen it discussed many times about women who've no cars planning on calling an ambulance when they go into labour. They say they're worried about calling a taxi in case their waters break in the cab. Now, labour can take hours, if not days, and this seems to me like a ridiculous waste of time. Using a limited resource, made, it made me angry to see the blatant disregard for the lives they could be endangering by not just planning ahead to organise a spin to the hospital. That's an interesting take on it. Uh, my wife and I, PJ, are over 70. At this stage, we've not yet been called for boosters. They're supposed to be starting the over 60 to 69 next Wednesday, says Tom. They're starting the 50 to 59s in the next couple of weeks, Tom. I would suggest, Tom, that you call your GP and see what's going on there. Are chemists doing Moderna or is it just Pfizer? 
answer to that is I don't know. I don't think we're doing Moderna anymore. I think it's just Pfizer now that we're using. I could be corrected on that. Could be corrected on a lot of things, I suppose. But I believe it's just Pfizer for the booster rollout. 1850-715-996. I, I would remarked, I think, back in, was it, it might have been September. I drove one afternoon through Passage. And I hadn't been through Passage in a long time. And I was remarking here the following day how wonderful the place looked with flowers and hanging baskets and colour and everything looked just tickety-boo. It looked great. And what's now been added to Passage is a wonderful mural. It's huge. It's on the gable end of that Shamrock Stores, which is kind of like an icon, kind of a beacon in the middle of Passage West, the Shamrock Stores. It's a huge building. And it's a beautiful mural of a seascape of Cork Harbour. It's wonderful. And it is the work of a young man called Jamie Howard. Jamie, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you getting on? I'm good. I haven't had a chance to go and actually see it yet, but I've seen photographs. Beautiful work. How did it come about? Yeah, so um, there was a there's a streetscape enhancement scheme that uh, there was like five towns in Cork that were selected um, to kind of just kind of do up the town basically, and uh, <laughs> there was a small little byline about murals, so I kind of jumped at the opportunity and uh, applied for four of them, and uh, three of them came through. Very good. So that took you about what five days. Yeah, about five days, yeah. There was a lot of kind of organisation that went into it because it would have been my first time using heavy machinery, like the the cherry picker and stuff. Yeah. So um, there was a lot of work went into it. But yeah, about five days. Really, really enjoyable to paint. Because yeah. you're, you're a local lad, aren't you? But you're, you're studying at, Dun, at Dunlera and you have a particular interest in street art. Why is that? I think it's just, it makes such a difference to the place. And even when you're, when you're painting the murals, the people that come up and talk to you and kind of relate to the work, it's amazing. It's much more interactive, I feel, than kind of the white cube gallery space. Yeah. It's also a lot more accessible for the average person. I think it's important as well for people to be surrounded by art yeah. in their town, in their home. Like The seascape, it's called home. Was that your idea or did someone come to you and say, C- can you do this? Was, was, the, was the, the idea yours, as in the idea for the... The, the actual concept of the design itself, yeah, yeah, that was mine. Right, beautiful. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of a bit of an abstracted version of Cork Harbour, really. It's not the first bit of work you've done down in, in Passage, either. No, I just completed two others. Um, they kind of all work together as well. So the chemist, I'd done waves, and then about 100 metres up the road, there's another shop, uh, and I'd done like kind of sailboats, so mm. it would have been a slightly zoomed out version yeah. of the same thing. And then the shamrock would have been up from the sky looking down, a kind of bird's eye view. Because it is, it's like a beacon in the middle of the town, the shamrock. Yeah, it is. It's it's amazing. I actually couldn't believe I got it. I was delighted. It's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're only 21, big future ahead in, in art. Uh, is, there a, is there some, would you like to go down that road full-time, as in do murals, do streetscapes, do all that? Is that what you want to make a career out of? Definitely, yeah, if it's possible. Um, I, I kind of, I do a lot of different things. So I do canvas work as well. I sell paintings. 
And I also do clothes as well. I sell, uh, I sell jumpers and stuff, branded jumpers. Okay. So uh, you design. So you yeah. you design. Well, you you, you, you design the brand for the jumper, is it? Yeah. So I have R A O K my my Instagram name. It's right. kind of set up as a brand as well. So I do the clothing too as well. So um, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. R-A-O-K. And that's your that's your, your Instagram and people can see can see your work. Yeah, at R-A-O-K one. R-A-O-K one. And the best one the best the best thing to do is drive down to passage and see that that as I said, as many photographs I've seen of it. I can't wait to get a look. And they I, I mentioned there in the introduction, like the, the town of Passage, it just has looked so nice the last few months. There's a lot of work going Absolutely, on down there. Yeah. We have an unbelievable councillor, Marcia Dalton. Mm-hmm. She's uh, non-stop. All she wants to do is kind of upgrade the town and do the best she can to make it look well. Yeah. So she's done some amazing work and she's been working with all business owners and homeowners and everybody to try and make the town a bit yeah. brighter. Well, well it's been, to Valamore. it was looking lovely in, in September and I'll take a, a drive down again to see uh, your your mural up close next week because the weather looks like being sunny, cold but sunny. Thank you, Jamie, and good luck with the rest of your career in art and street art in particular. R-A-O-K-1 is where you'll find him on Instagram and his work is down on the side of the Shamrock stores in Passage and he done the waves on the side of the pharmacy and he did the other miniature out the road a little bit. 1850-715-996. Bunch more of them with loads and loads of these coming in. Uh, we're, a glo- we're a glorified... This, this seems to come in from someone who works in the service. I'm assuming this, I may be wrong, but I'm assuming that this is coming from someone who works in the service. We're a glorified taxi. It's just a lot of our daily calls or people calling 999 because they, they can get in the back door faster than going to the ED. They're ringing 999 for a spin to hospital. It's a system that's not fit for purpose. It will stand down an ambulance from an actual sick person and divert us to a higher response, which could be a drunk on the street because the caller states that he or she is not alert. It's such a pity. We've an outstanding group of paramedics who are just burnt out and management who just wants stats and figures. And since we started talking with Ted Kenny this morning, they have continued to come in, these messages from all over the city and county. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. A woman to think of today. Just by the by, apropos of nothing, it just popped up on my timeline. Eileen Collins is her name, and she's 65 today. Who's Eileen Collins, I hear you say? She's an astronaut, and she was the first woman to pilot the space shuttle and the first woman to command a space shuttle mission. And uh, she was born on this day in 1956. But the best bit... The best bit is Eileen Collins' parents were from Cork. <laughs> We're everywhere, lads. 1850-715-996. There is a ceremony ongoing. It may be just over, but it's at least ongoing at UCC 
at the moment the presentation of an honorary doctorate. Uh, the honorary degree of Doctor of Law from UCC is being presented to Louise O'Neill, the award-winning author and columnist, the author of the book and play Asking For It and the other wonderful book called After the Silence. And she writes very interesting and often challenging columns in The Examiner uh, week to week. Louise is being presented uh, with this honorary document, a doctorate in recognition of her work in bringing problematic issues to the fore in contemporary discourse. That's rather posh. I got a chance before we came on air to have a chat with Louise O'Neill. Dr. O'Neill, I presume... I'm going to insist now, you know, if I'm on a flight and they say there's been an emergency, we need a doctor, I will, of course, stand up and say, I am a doctor. I can do this. Louise, many, many congratulations. Were you surprised? I mean, surprised is an understatement. I was absolutely shocked, like completely overwhelmed. And, you know, the the imposter syndrome was was very strong, but it's just such an incredible honor and it means so much to me because you know my mother and my sister and like most of my family went to UCC um so I always feel a little bit left out when they're reminiscing about their college days so now I feel like I can sort of be an honorary member of the gang as well. Did you not go to to UCC no? No I went to Trinity and honestly the reason is I mean because UCC is such a beautiful campus um but I was so eager to I think put as much distance between me and school and my hometown as possible um, at eight, when I was 18 that like Dublin seemed like the only option to me um, so yeah so I, I went to Trinity um, but um, yeah I've got a, a real soft spot for UCC yeah yeah the wording of the citation this is an award for your ability to discuss and dissect very difficult subjects I remember the first time you and I spoke Louise you were determined to take on certain things that just mm. were never spoken about. You've cons- mm. you've consistently done that. Has yeah. it been a hard road sometimes? Um, I mean, it has in certain ways. But, I mean, I suppose I remember when you and I first spoke, oh my God, was that 2014 or 2015? Um, mm. And I think so much of, you know, the the interviews that I was doing then, um, was around even just explaining, you know, what consent meant, what rape culture meant, um, and I feel like the culture has moved on so much from then that it would I would find it very unusual um, or unlikely if I was asked to do the same now. Um, but I do think because of the nature of the work that I was doing and because of the I suppose the conversations that my work was facilitating, there were a lot of people who felt very angered by it um, and were very vocal, I think, in expressing that anger um, to me. Um, And at times that felt really frightening and very intimidating and hurtful. But, you know, I also say that, you know, when I spoke to, let's say, Mary Critty at the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork before I wrote Asking For It, you know, she told me when they set up the centre in the the 1980s, like there were protests um, outside because people were so appalled at the idea of there being, I suppose, a specific place that people could go to to, dis- to discuss these things. And like, I'm certainly like not dealing with the same sort of 
reaction that say someone like an Edna O'Brien would have been um, faced with. You know, I, I haven't been censored or, you know, any of those things. So I, I try not to be too precious, I suppose, hmm. about my own hurt feelings in, in, in this journey. Yeah, I'll get to asking for it in, in a minute because I remember being at the opening night and, and literally being unable to breathe. Mm. I, if you just sat there holding my breath for this incredible production and having previously read the book as well. But I'll get to it in a minute. Your early columns, Louise, I think some people kind of misread you a little bit mm. and, and couldn't quite take your, your directness at the start. They've mellowed. Have you? <laughs> Maybe we've all mellowed. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the last two years have been sort of a difficult slog for, for everyone. I, I do think that, like, times have changed as mm. well. You know, I think that maybe some of the ideas that I was discussing, you know, my start of my column in 2016, and they were definitely, I think, seen as quite controversial then, you know, particularly leading up to, let's say, the Repeal the Eighth um, uh, campaign and all of that, you know, that it was tempers were high I think Hmm. Um, and I suppose sometimes you can feel like you're kind of caught in the crosswires and also I would agree with that in you know my dad would read my articles and he would say to me something like oh I thought that was a very good article I felt like you explained that in a very clear way and then I would see on Twitter people being like Louise O'Neill is a man hater or you know any of these things And, Hmm. and I often wondered about that disconnect and I think as a writer, you start thinking, am I not being clear enough? Am I not putting my point across, mm. um, you know, well enough that I suppose that it's being misread in this way? Um, but I do think that, you know, things have really changed um, in the last six years. Um, and definitely, you know, some of the columns that from maybe from the beginning of my career that were considered really controversial, I don't know if they would have had the yeah. same impact. Re- reading back on them now, I think in a more enlightened world, we would look back and say that in actual fact, you were ahead of the game. Oh, well, God, PJ, thank you. I think I would say that to you. And, and I, I think you and I, we, we sometimes, we struck off each other a little bit in the earlier days <laughs> because I didn't understand you either. But, but PJ, you know what, PJ, you were always great in that you were always open to having the conversation. You know, you didn't, I never got the sense with you that you were trying to shut me down, even if you completely disagreed with something I I said. And I always respect that, I think, when you can have a, I don't know, a healthy debate about something that it doesn't turn into a screaming match. Greatly appreciate that. Come to asking for it. Like, Mm. at the time, did did you have any notion when you were writing it just how big a sensation it was going to become? Oh, I mean, of course not. Um, it was actually my second um, novel, but I, I think when you're writing something like that, you know, you're obviously doing it, or I was anyway, I suppose, with in mind, I would love this to start a conversation. I would love for some people to read this and to have their minds changed about um, rape um, and sexual violence and, and the way in which we blame victims. And I suppose the just incredible, incredibly high standards we hold women to and on female sexuality and all of these things. But you can never control, I suppose, how large that conversation is going to become. And I really think with asking for it, like so much of it was about timing. You know, it was released in 2015 and the Me Too movement happened in 2017. So I think these kind of ideas were really percolating and people were ready to have this conversation and people were frustrated with, I think, the prevalence of sexual violence and the way in which it was so often Mm. diminished, I think. Um, And I I have always believed that art, whether that's a book or a play or a TV show, 
I think is a way of facilitating what are often very difficult conversations. It allows you a way in mm. to discuss this with your children or your partner or your or your parents or, or whoever mm. um, in a way that feels kind of safer, I think. I recall, as I said to you, opening night, um, holding my breath up in the, mm. the balcony in the everyman and realising, I had read the book, of course I'd read the book, but this is, this is a very, very firm statement to us all, young and old, to look at the way we view stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the play was incredible. Um, you know, Landmark Productions, who was a production company behind it, did just such a phenomenal job. And I, I remember going to see it for the first time and my whole family was there. My grandmother was there and she and she died only um, a few months later. Mm. And uh, my parents were there and my partner. And I remember like my dad getting up to stand up at the interval and he sort of fell back on the seat and he was like, my legs are shaking. And I think it was just this c- collective holding of breath you know, everyone in that, in that audience. And it's, it's really interesting because obviously, you know, when you write a book and, and that, uh, that's what I do, I write books, you don't get to experience people reading your books, you know, like you don't sit there and watch as someone reads your book. Um, so they can tell you sort of secondhand, I suppose, how it resonated or what it made them feel. But I think to actually be in that um, theatre and to see the way in which people were responding to the yeah. actors on stage, yeah. I mean, it was kind of beyond my wildest dreams. And I think, I remember I was actually talking to someone recently who had met at a, at a writer's retreat centre in Monaghan. And she was saying that she had been at the play. And after it, she heard this woman in the row in front of her turn to her friend and she said, she said, I'm going to report my sexual abuse. And I, I just think like, it's, it's, I mean, I, I don't feel any way, like, you know, I don't even feel not responsible is the right word or like it's just it's beyond me at this point I think that story is so universal and so evergreen and um it's kind of become I think other people's story um in a way which I feel like I don't really feel like I have ownership over it in the same way that I do with my other books but I feel very proud I suppose of 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 just the the impact that it has seemed to have had yeah yeah your other book uh, after the silence that tackled another difficult subject but, mm. but again and I'm, I'm not buttering you up here your ability as a writer Louise is to tackle an extremely difficult and uncomfortable subject in a way that is completely unputdownable as they say about books oh that's that's very kind um I, I suppose you know I knew from the very beginning with the kind of books that I was writing that they would be I don't know. I mean, people say political, but I suppose that there are certain motifs or ideas that I'm kind of constantly coming back to. But I think that if you're a writer, the, the story is the most important thing, you know, and I, I people will always say to me about my books, I read it in one sitting and, and I try and kind of keep the pace really fast and just kind of, you know, you want the story to be as gripping as possible. But that I think, oh, you know, that they might think about something that you've mentioned in the book or an issue that you've raised um, and maybe think about it in a different way than they might have before they started the book. I mean, that will be the highest compliment I think I could receive. Yeah, yeah. Given that we've all been pretty much at home for nearly two years now, have you anything else in the works that we should be excited about? Um, I do. Um, I have a new book, which is called Idol, and that is coming out in May 2022. Um, and it's about an American wellness influencer who writes 
an essay about a sexual experience that she had with her best friend when she was a teenager. And the essay goes viral. But then Lisa, the best friend, gets in touch and says that's not quite how she remembers the night. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I can't wait to read it already. Louise, congratulations. Uh, Dr. Louise to you, PJ. Sorry now, Dr. Louise. <laughs> <laughs> Best of luck with everything and we'll talk again. Thanks so much, PJ. Dr. Louise O'Neill, or Louise, awarded that honorary doctorate at uh, UCC. It's happening at the moment or may just indeed be over. And while I mentioned that, I, I want to, and it's a few days, it's nearly a week after it happened now. I don't think I mentioned it Monday when I had intended to do. We've been busy this week. Uh, can I just add to the piles and piles of congratulations for Don O'Leary of the Life Centre because Don, or Dr. Don, was awarded an honorary doctorate also last weekend uh, at UCC for his work with the Life Centre. And typical of the man, he took it as an award for the Life Centre and for the staff and for the young people up there who he said are his teachers. Uh, Don is not just a regular on this program for many, many years, but a friend at this point. And uh, congratulations to, to Don on his uh, elevation to Dr. Don, which given that back in the day, Don had a bit of uh, <laughs> a bit of a pirate radio life back in the day. Dr. Don would work as a pirate radio DJ name, wasn't it? 1850-71599 says, couple of fire brigade. <laughs> yes, I can relate to this. couple of fire brigades on Patrick Street uh, right now. I was looking out the window and said, have we got a situation? There was a fire brigade tender and there was a few people gathering. Have we got a situation? We did have a situation. They were there to rescue a person from a lift. Oh, I can certainly identify with that one. I hope they're all right. 1850-715-996. Reminder to you, Premier League Live is back this Saturday on 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh, powered by Talk Sport, bringing you live coverage of Leicester City against Chelsea at half 12, Aston Villa against Brighton at 3, Liverpool v Arsenal at half past 5. Is the Premier League Live online with now? Stream live Premier League action with the Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now. And listen Saturday on the Corks 96FM app or indeed go to 96FM.ie. One more on the ambulance situation. We're talking to Ted, the ambulance union rep, early this morning. And I may tell you, we have been inundated with stories and messages since we had that conversation with Ted Kenny about the state of the ambulance service. My nana took a massive stroke about five weeks ago. Obviously, with a stroke, time is very important. We ran, rang an ambulance and we had to wait an hour and 45 minutes her house is located in the city near the tank field, but the ambulance had to come from Mallow. She also has dementia and severe osteoporosis, so we couldn't even move her from the floor. When the ambulance staff did arrive, they were nothing but fantastic. Couldn't have done more for us. Treated my nanny with such care. But again, when she finally arrived at the hospital, we couldn't accompany her. She was in a very confused state, and she had to sit on a trolley in the emergency department for hours, until the morning, in fact. Again, this was shocking, like she was suffering a stroke. We were told twice that it wasn't until finally the following day a scan had confirmed she'd had a major stroke. Very sad times for our country and for the most vulnerable in our country. I think there was one more.
No, that was it. That's the, that's the last one I have. Reminder to you again, that vaccination clinic at Cork City Hall Sunday, Sunday the 21st, 1 till 4. Uh, no appointment necessary. Uh, the COVID-19 vaccination will be a Pfizer vaccination and it is the first and second dose for anybody over 12. If you're between 12 and 15, you need to be accompanied by a parent or guardian. Hi there, I'm a serving paramedic with many, many years of service. The issues with the ambulance service have been there for years, but it got critically worse since the introduction of NEOC and dynamic deployment, sending the next available ambulance, irrespective of where that ambulance is based. It's an unmitigated shambles. Last week, a Donegal-based ambulance got a number of 999 calls. Each one brought them further south. Get away. They eventually got a 999 call to North Cork while they were in Limerick and they ended up in CUH. The system takes calls based on a preset script on a computer. It falsely prioritises 999 calls. Someone who appears unresponsive after a few beers will get an ambulance faster than the fractured hip. That's just a fact. A requirement issued a few years ago to transport everyone that rings 999 hasn't helped. If someone refuses to travel, the crew must fill out a refusal of treatment or refusal to travel section on the onboard laptop. It's more detailed than it needs to be because of the fear of medical litigation. The long delays in ED are partially due to the ambulance service transporting people who could have been seen in a local injury unit. But instead, they ring 999. But I thought we'd seen it all with ambulances going from Cork to Waterford to take someone 10 minutes up the road to a hospital. Here is a story coming in from a serving paramedic telling us that an ambulance based in Donegal got a number of calls and each one brought them further south and they eventually ended up in CUH. Now, they started their shift, that crew, in Donegal. So one assumes that when they were finished in CUH, they had to take that ambulance back to Donegal. That's five or maybe six hours drive, lads. That's insane. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10 with Griffin's Potatoes. Make the perfect chip at home with their chipping potatoes. Once you taste them, you'll be back for more. Now in store. Corks 96 FM.